Welcome to Saints. In this podcast, we'll be discovering and discussing fascinating insights to topics and events found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the latter days. This new four-volume narrative is a history of the Restoration. You can also read it and all the material we'll be discussing today on LDS.org or on your Gospel Library app. And now, Saints. I'm Ben Godfrey, and today I have with me two fantastic guests. First, we have Marianne Andrus. She's a manager of exhibits and programs at the Church History Museum in Salt Lake City. Welcome, Marianne. Thank you. And we have with us again, Sarah Eyring. Sarah has recently read Saints Volume 1 and will be sharing her thoughts and questions in our episode today. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, thank you for letting me be here. <laughs> we're, uh, we're lucky to have Marianne with us today. Um, as a uh, person who's been deeply involved in the creation of the Heavens Are Opened exhibit at the Church History Museum, which for those of you out there who are listening um, and who happen to be in the uh, Utah area or you may be visiting, this exhibit really covers much of the same story in a physical museum exhibit as Saints covers in a narrative history. That's so true. It's really been interesting to watch how we, you know, put together an exhibit of objects that are touchstones to tell this the same story. It's incredible, and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful exhibit, and uh, we'd invite you to come and see that. In our discussion today, we're going to focus on Chapter 10 of Saints called Gathered In, and I thought maybe we could start off today just talking about some missionaries that are sent out, and they visit this little town called Kirtland, Ohio. What, what happens? Who are these missionaries and what are they about to do? <laughs> well, it's interesting because um, they're, they're the first missionaries to receive a call to actually go to a place. And they're called to go to, to the Western Reserve, to the, to the rest, Western part of the United States, really beyond the boundary of the United States. And uh, they're called to preach to the American Indians, who are among the descendants of, of uh, people in the Book of Mormon known as Lamanites. So they have this very specific call. Most of the other members that were working, um, that had joined the church and, and lived around Joseph, the minute that they were actually uh, converted and, and baptized and became members, you see them start to organize their lives around missionary work. They, they start to work with their family members, their friends, their neighbors, and they're doing missionary work. Right, right. But here's this, this formal call that comes to Oliver Cowdery, Parley uh, P. Pratt and uh, Zeba Peterson to to go west and to go and and preach the gospel. And they were pretty young when they did this. Is that right? That is right. Yes. They How were, old were they? Do you know? I don't know specific ages, but young men um, near the ages of our own missionaries. And so they're not, you know, the, we tend to think of those those men as uh, older men, thirties, forties, you know, very mature and established. And and that was not the case. This is um, this is a lot. I think a big step for them to be called to this uh, this work. So as they as they're traveling out west, they stop in this place, Kirtland, along the way. Kirtland, right. In the in the the book, we learn about a, a lady by the name of of Abigail Daniels. Tell us a little bit about what Abigail's story is. And, and your connection, as we were talking earlier, okay. about uh, the work that she was engaged in. Yeah. Well, I, I loved this chapter um, because it opens with, 
with two women doing everyday work in their farmhouse. Um, Abigail Williams is described as a woman with a large family, but no um, immediate help from her own family. And so she has a young girl, Lucy, Lucy Morley, who is working and living in the home and, and helping her. And the scene opens with them weaving cloth. And um, as, as the shuttle is moving back and forth across this loom, they're talking, and, and you get this sense of, you know, kind of the everyday life of, of a woman. Constant work, cooking, cleaning, making f- uh, both cloth and clothing out of cloth, just the heavy duties that, that they were both work in, working in together. Well, uh, a knock comes on the door. The three men are welcomed into Abigail's home, and initially they stop this work. And I, I got that sense of, you know, um, you have to set aside work that's pressing on you that you want to complete before sundown. And, um, and but they they uh, follow the custom of the day and welcome these strangers in, set their chairs around uh, the hearth, and begin to talk. And the, the missionaries bear their testimony of the restoration of the gospel, of the Book of Mormon, and the translation of the Golden Plates, and Joseph Smith as a prophet. And Abigail has a very strong reaction against the church. Let, <laughs> let's, in fact, uh, listen to a, a little piece um, from the book that talks about that reaction. Um, and, and just before we listen to that, I'm just kind of reminded, a, a lot of us today, I mean, in my neighborhood and other neighborhoods that I've seen, you know, people have doorbells that have cameras. They don't even come to the door anymore. Right. <laughs> We're like, I don't know you. I'm not talking to, to you. <laughs> but at this time, it, it was fairly common if a, yeah. if a, preaching, a traveling preacher came by yeah. that you would allow them into your home. Oh, yeah, very much so. So they were being... Courteous, courteous, and, and and it was it was just kind of normal and expected. You'd offer a drink of water from the water bench. There'd be a bucket and a, a dipper. You'd you'd um, welcome them in, feeding them. Very very common to to realize there's not restaurants on every corner. There aren't right. a, that many crossroads. So right. um, yeah, it was it was a custom of the day to observe this. So here's a, here's a clip from the book about Abigail's reaction. When they finished their message the rhythmic clatter of Abigail's loom stopped, and the woman turned around on her bench. I do not want any of your damnable doctrine taught in my house, she said, angrily waving the shuttle in their faces. The men tried to persuade her, testifying that their message was true. But Abigail ordered them to leave, saying she did not want them polluting her children with false doctrine. The men asked if she would at least feed them, They were hungry and had not eaten all day. "'You cannot have anything to eat in my house,' Abigail snapped. "'I do not feed impostors.'" Yeah. So how how unusual is it for Abigail to kind of tell him to hit the road? You know, in my experience, that really is a very unusual circumstance. Her passionate reaction is is overcoming, you know, just the the cultural norms, the, the expected courtesies of the day. I worked for uh, 10 years in um, the Upper South at a historic site where we were doing much of this work and trying to show and depict for our visitors the the everyday life of women um, in the 19th century. And you, you come to read through diaries and letters and understand that this is just a part of 
of the, the womanhood of, of 19th century would be the exact opposite of what of what she did. So that struck me that that her reaction is so strong that it overcomes this uh, th- this whole lifetime of training to, to do otherwise. But really cool that um, then is it Abigail or Lucy? Lucy. Who's, who's the younger yes, of our Lucy. women? Lucy. <laughs> that Lucy, who is only about 15 years old, she not I think out of propriety, but because she's really she believes what they're saying, yes. she then helps them out and yes. sends them in the right direction, right? Right, right. Which I loved the idea that this young teenage woman um, is is the means of these men, you know, not only kind of healing the hurt that they just had experienced, but then she sends them to her parents' farm, Isaac and Isaac Morley, who has welcomed others to live on his farm, is, is clearly a very generous-hearted man looking to live the principles of the gospel. And it's the start then of this amazing conversion of leaders of the church and, you know, the whole area of, of Ohio. And it stems from Lucy saying, find my father's farm. That is so cool. I I love that part of this story too. I hope that, I hope that our listeners who who are listening in, they can see that it, it, we always talk about small and simple things, right? Small and simple things. But here it is. Lucy just stepped outside and said, my dad will feed you. Mm -hmm. They don't turn anyone away. And that act leads to Isaac Morley Mm -hmm. joining the church. It leads to Sidney Rigdon Mm -hmm. and his congregation um, like, and personally, my, so not to go too crazy deep on this, but my son's name is Isaac. Hmm. His name is Isaac because his grandpa's name was Carol Isaac Draper. Hmm. And he was named after Isaac Draper, who was named after Isaac Morley. Like my own son yeah. has his name because Lucy stepped outside yeah. to talk and send these missionaries on their way yeah. to someone that she knew would care for them. What an incredible connection. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing the, the small act of what we would say today, oh, she's a 15-year-old girl. No. Yeah. Her act is just as big as anyone else's. Right, right. Yeah, and she acts under convictions. She goes back in the house, and Abigail seems a little you know, snide. She's like, well, I hope you're happy. And yeah. Lucy's like, I am. <laughs> yeah. And she's, you know, she's got to be pretty strong. Like this is her employer, you yeah, know, yeah. she's like, yeah, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah. Let's get back to work, well, I Abigail. Was just, I was just impressed with that strength. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about more about this mission um, to the Native Americans, mm-hmm. the mission to the Indians. What was this like? What time of year is it? What are they experiencing? Who do they meet with? Okay, they they are um, traveling cross country in late fall and into the winter of 1830, um, and I really am struck at the arduous trek. It is um, it's described in in several sources. Um, as they get into the snows of the winter, they're following the Kansas River to Indian Territory. They're they're climbing through drifts to their thighs. My I mean, it just. Just awful, and yeah. and you know, long days of this. Um, again, you know, seeking the shelter as they move along, just from the kindness of of farmers and people that they come along with, and so, so it's a, a long and arduous trek. They do reach the Lenape people. We we would call this tribe uh, the Delaware, and the Lenape have been um, resettled from eastern states out to. Um, to Indian Territory in Kansas and Oklahoma. And um, the, the, the missionaries are welcomed in to 
their the lodge. And in my mind's eye, I, I don't know exactly what it looked like, but I can see this uh, smoky, warm, you know, large lodge filled. Uh, one source had described it with 40 chiefs from the Lenape people wow. that had come together. So, um, and and the, the head chief was uh, Chief William Anderson. He's named for a European father, but his mother is Lenape. And he is very gracious, and I love that. I love the fact that the men are well-treated, they are um, welcomed in and warmed and fed, and then as they begin to teach about the Book of Mormon as a record of these people's forefathers, they are well-received. The men express um, ex, you know, care and, and gratitude for the, the scriptures. They're given a book, and it's just, for me, a very satisfying end to such a hard journey for them to have gotten there. So they share their message. They're treated with some kindness. They tell them they're going to come back. Yes. Um, the, the chief actually invites them to come again in the spring and to, to teach more from the Book of Mormon. Um, and unfortunately, then the government gets involved. The Indian agent feels that they do not have the proper accreditation to be pe- preaching, and so then he refuses to let them come back. And so they've had this, this basic interaction, um, but it doesn't go further than that. We have another group of travelers in the story. Uh, we've got um, Edward Partridge and Sidney that decide they'd like to meet this man. Mm-hmm. Sidney is baptized right away. Mm-hmm. But Edward's kind of a holdout. Mm-hmm. He's a lot like maybe some of some of us who kind of want to see a little bit more first. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me just share a little clip here from the book. As the missionaries traveled west, Sidney traveled east with his friend Edward Partridge, a 37-year-old hat maker from his congregation. The two men were headed to Manchester, nearly 300 miles from Kirtland, to meet Joseph. Sidney had already joined the church, but Edward wanted to get to know the prophet before deciding whether he should do the same. So I imagine that when Edward is going to meet the prophet, of course his um, his standards for the prophet's conduct and his family would probably have been high if he's trying to decide whether or not he's going to follow him as a prophet. Um, and so what did he find? What did he expect to find and what did he find? Well, it, it is interesting because he takes the time to go to the Smith farm, even though he's learned that they are not there. They have moved closer to Fayette, but he takes the time to, to say, well, let's go and see their place. Oh, my goodness. That's like somebody saying, let me walk into Sarah's room and see what it looks like when she's not aware that anyone's visiting. That's well, scary. And, and thankfully, he's very, very pleased. He's, he's really impressed with um, the character of of the Smith family because their farm is well built and kept up and they can, he can see the improvements that they have made in the years that they've lived there. So he's favorably impressed and they then set off for the next, I think, 26 miles or so to, to reach the Smiths. So that was quite a, a different path to take, the 26 miles, but it sounds like it was worth it. That's really cool. When they get there, um, they're in the middle of a, of a church meeting. Right. And so they just kind of slip in the back, right? Yeah, isn't that great? And, and then what's, what happens? Well, Joseph concludes speaking and then invites anyone from the congregation who would like to stand up and, and share impressions, thoughts that have come to them. 
And so Edward takes him up on that offer and stands, and he relates their experience, this long journey that they've made. I I would imagine he shares the fact that he, I I know, in fact, that he he says, I I wasn't going to be baptized until I came and met and heard and and saw. But then he, he very boldly says, I am ready to be baptized. And interestingly, Joseph is so gracious, he says, well, you've been on this long journey. Why don't we, you know, let you rest and take some refreshment and and we'll do this in the morning. And I just loved Edward because he goes from being careful, you know, thoughtful, not sure, to just fully committed. And he says, you know, just just as you decide, I I am ready, you know, whenever you're you're ready. I love that part of the story too, that you see Edward, he's like, he's on this point where what's the tipping point? Mm -hmm. He hears Joseph preach. And then he is all in, all you know, in. he is right. all in. And, right. and I love that Joseph says, you know, maybe we, it's kind of late. Like maybe we can all just get some rest and we'll get you baptized in the morning, you know, <laughs> but that's fun. And then Edwards, Edwards comments of, but just as you say, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he does the typical thing then. He heads back immediately to family, friends, and begins that informal missionary work that was just so typical of, of the early saints. Let's talk a little bit about Sidney Rigdon. Okay. Sitting here in 2018, some of us think, when we think about Sidney, we think about Joseph's death and the what's sometimes termed the succession crisis. Mm-hmm. We think maybe about Sidney being tarred and feathered. Mm-hmm. And if we have to stop for a minute, because in this part of the story, none of that's happened yet. Right. Sydney is a is a preacher. Mm-hmm. What is this like for Sydney? These mm-hmm. missionaries come into town. Mm-hmm. How does he react to this, and what does it mean for him? Well, I am just struck at the huge impact that it has on Sydney and his his life. You know, he was a man that was had dedicated his entire life to living worthy, to understanding the gospel, to trying to incorporate that in his life. He had moved out to um, the Western Reserve, to the Kirtland area, formed this congregation. It was, you know, a, a large-sized group of people. And to, to have then another faith introduced in, to have the humility to listen and and respond to the, the preachings of those um, those early uh, missionaries to have the faith to be baptized and let his entire flock then go down this path of faith is a, an astonishing thing. You could well understand a man who didn't do that, who would maybe say protectively, "This is my church. You may not preach here. You may not, right, right. you know, come into our our fold." He didn't do that. He was so intent, I believe, on learning about the truth that could be found in the scriptures, incorporating that into his life. He really was a disciple. And as the more I've studied of Sidney's life, I've come to really have great respect for that discipleship, his love of the Savior and wanting to be a true disciple. We often tell the story of Christ's parable of the rich man. I hope when when saints, as as our listeners out there and others read it, I hope maybe somebody, when they tell that story next time, can contrast that with Sidney Rigdon. Mm -hmm. Because he had the same thing proposed to him. You can follow me, but probably going to lose your house because your congregation pays for that. You're going to have to give up your livelihood because we don't do paid clergy. (laughs) Like, this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. 
And unlike the parable of the rich man, mm-hmm. Sidney says, I'm in. Let's mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I just think we need to remember that about Sidney. Yeah, yeah. You know, another thing that he did, he was a scribe for Joseph. And so he stays with Joseph while um, Edward Partridge returns back home. And and he becomes a scribe. And a scribe is an interesting occupation, you know. <laughs> In my mind, one that takes great patience. It's a an act of service. You are... You are you know, assisting and helping this this person to to complete translation. In this case, on the Bible, and again, I I think to have gone from the person who's leading the flock, who's standing at the head of the pulpit, and and that that kind of eminence, to being servant at the elbow of a prophet is a, again a mark of who Sidney was. And I've come to just really love and admire that man. How did it come about that he was asked to be a scribe? Was that something from a, a, a guidance from Heavenly Father? Was that a request from um, Sidney himself that he could participate? I, I, I'm not sure of the exact details. I know that Joseph had been um, relying on uh, Emma, possibly Oliver, to to do the work of, of scribing. And I just, I guess, as I've read, I've gotten a sense of what a heavy duty that was for people who were scribing. They were writing carefully, slowly, um, clearly, so that their wording, you know, comes out uh, legibly and sure. beautifully on the paper, page. Uh, so I don't know if they just um, conversed and decided that that would, would come about. But but I, I did get the sense that, again, of the hand of the Lord preparing uh, the situation to take place, that Sidney arrives as he's needed yeah. and is willing to stay and do the work. I do think it's interesting that it seems that as everybody, as each person is converted to this gospel, starting with Joseph Smith, they really do give their entire lives yes. and energy yes. to it. And that is... Yes. I hope something that we still do today, but I, I don't know if I've done that completely. So reading this actually motivates me to think of ways that I could kind of turn that's, each aspect of my life to great. heaven. That idea of consecration, um, I think it is really relevant from their time when we see that that full sense of consecration. But I think if we, we think about the many ways and opportunities we're given to give today, it's just it's just a wonderful bridge between us. It and really them, is. So. Speaking of consecration... The, the saints in the Kirtland area, the church is growing. Mm-hmm. There's a, a success. It's working there. Joseph receives a revelation for the saints in New York, and he invites them to move to the Ohio. Uh, this is kind of the, like you said earlier, it's the Western Reserve. It's, mm-hmm. it's not like there's a freeway that they can jump on and zip down. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Let's listen to a little clip here from the book about the move to the Ohio. Hoping to ease concerns about the gathering, Joseph met with the saints and received a revelation. I hold forth and deign to give you greater riches, even a land of promise, the Lord declared. And I will give it unto you for the land of your inheritance, if you seek it with all your hearts. By gathering together, the saints could flourish as a righteous people and be protected from the wicked. The Lord also promised two additional blessings to those who gathered to Ohio. There I will give unto you my law, he said, and there you shall be endowed with power from on high. So this is a pretty marvelous um, promise the Lord gives to these saints who are well-established in the New York area. Mm -hmm. How do they take it? Well, 
It, it is a shock. <laughs> it, uh, I think uh, they're initially informed of this revelation in the third conference of the church. And I think that's early in 1831. And most respond with faith, but you can feel the impact on their lives. They're successful farmers. They've been well-established, many of them for a number of years in the New York area. Their farms are flourishing. And and suddenly they're, they're... they're not only told, you know, we're going to move to the Ohio, which I don't think they knew a lot about. It was it was an unknown area to move to, a, a wild and western place to move to. But they don't have a sense that they can take the time to, you know, sell their farms and, and reap back some of what they have put in, in improvements into their farms. And so, again, it's this huge leap of faith to be able to say, you know, my my faith and trust in the Lord and in Joseph is great enough to overcome this. We talked in a previous episode about Joseph not being able to do this work alone. Mm. Like you were saying, Sarah, there's people prepared to come and help him. Now the Lord's telling the people, you need to be gathered together. Mm-hmm. And what does that what does that really mean to them as they as they move down to the Ohio? I do hope and think that they had that sense of the protection that is offered by by forming a community and being a community. That um, it's not any individual effort that can can bring about the restoration and uh, the building up of the kingdom. It it just has to be this collective effort. They can lean on each other. They can have strength from from help from each other. And that that somehow doing things in numbers, it's like you might be so afraid afraid to do it by yourself, you know, just your own family setting out. But but to have the strength of a community that we are doing this together is for me a, a, a wonderful kind of beacon. It helps in today's life. So. Absolutely. That makes me wonder what we can do, you know, how we can kind of take these examples of gathering in this book and how we can apply that, as you said, today in life, how we can kind of participate in that. I wonder if part of it is actually part of that gathering spirit is actually just reading this history and feeling a little more connected to the people Mm -hmm. in these stories, in these real life stories. And a little more committed, as you said a minute ago. Sure, It it heightens your sense of personal responsibility. What am I doing? Sure, sure. I also kind of chuckled when I was realizing that this announcement came during the third conference, and then I thought about our recent conference. And, you know, we've been asked to step to a different stride, and um, the idea of ministering that um, that there is real care that takes place, looking for the need and helping. I love that. It is strengthening and lengthening our stride to, to really um, fill that discipleship. Yeah, I wonder if at any point in the future, I'm, I'm sure we may be asked to move around like this to make such drastic moves, but I'm, mm. I'm glad that there are small and simple ways each day that we can become a little bit more like these uh, people who ended up being pioneers in a lot of ways. Good point. As, as we're talking about that, I just recall one experience when, uh, when I made a move. Mm. Uh, we, we moved to, to California, and it happened to be around the time of a state conference, and I felt kind of alone in this new place, and I knew some people, you know, but but I will never forget walking in to that building in Folsom, California, and it was, a, it was electric for me. Mm-hmm. These are my people, you know, mm-hmm. and 
I think the Saints back then must have had some similar feelings coming together to the Ohio mm-hmm. to gather in where their strength. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Marianne, for being here with us today. And thank you, Sarah, also. Very much appreciate your insights. Uh, for our listeners out there, you can always learn more about Saints by visiting saints.lds.org, where you can read the latest chapters, topics, and see the most recent videos. And as always, you can subscribe to this podcast and others at the Mormon Channel. Thank you for joining us. I'm Ben Godfrey. Thanks for joining us today for Saints. And don't forget to read more of this historical narrative on LDS.org or on your Gospel Library app. Join us again for our next episode, where we'll once again discover fascinating insights of church history found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the Latter Days. 